Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast that explores Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I am the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. Jimmy is in Europe uh, for the time being, but uh, I think this is going to drop on a Thursday, and uh, in just a few days, we will both be in California for the Southern Baptist Convention, which is uh, sort of, uh, it's a quinky dink, because we're talking to a guy from California. His name is uh, Steve Meister, and a lot of you guys already know who he is. Uh, Steve, man, thanks uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for being a part of the podcast. Hey, brother. It's an honor to be with you. Thanks for having me. So uh, we know each other only really through uh, social media, right? We, we connected on uh, social media. We may have chatted or something. Yeah, we chatted a little bit. I, I was at a one uh, Doc and Devo conference. I That's honestly right. don't remember what year it was. It was before the vid, so I think it was 2019 or so. Right, right, right. And so, you know, I was I was talking to a, a mutual friend, uh, a fellow Californian. Is that is that a word? I was talking to Richard Barcelos, yeah. and I was like, listen, man, we need to start bringing some guys on. I want to bring on sharp guys, but they also have to be guys that can talk. They just have a conversation. Some guys, they're just stiff and awkward, and they can't roll. I said, I don't need that. So I don't. It doesn't. I don't care if they're brilliant. If they can't roll, I don't want it. Um, but they got to be sharp, and they got to be able to roll. And uh, so he gave me, I don't know, four or five names. Um, first name, Steve Meister. <laughs> the first name he got. Well, I don't. <laughs> I only stand out amongst uh, socially awkward theologians. Then I can then I can roll in that crowd. You'll also probably stand above him because he's a shorty. So uh, I don't know. How, oh yeah, yeah. yeah I, I rest my elbow on Rich sometimes <laughs> when we get together. <laughs> well, he's taller than me. I think by an inch. So uh, so I'm I I feel like I'm totally allowed to uh, to make fun of him. What's it like living in California, man? I mean, I live in Illinois where the government is very corrupt. The taxes are very high, but we don't have an ocean or good weather. Um, you have yeah. all of that, maybe even worse, but you have good weather. What's it like living there? And you've been there your whole life, right? I have. I'm born and raised here in California. I love California. Um, we have great weather. I don't, I don't understand the weather like you guys put up with in Illinois. I always thought that you know, six, nine months of winter was a sign that of Providence that you shouldn't live someplace. Um, so I, I got blood like fruit punch. I couldn't even survive in that kind of context. Um, it is, it's a wonderful state. I love the eclectic, um, aspects of it, the ministry aspects. I was even talking with somebody on Sunday night after our evening worship that I, I, nearly half 40% of our congregation was not born in the U S oh, wow. um, cool. and we have a ton of immigrants, uh, uh so much, opportunity to minister the gospel. Um, and I just sort of take all that for granted. And it is a unique uh, opportunity the Lord has given. It is challenging. I mean, to be fair, I mean, we're here in Sacramento. Um, you know, Governor Newsom goes to work. Uh, I've lived, in fact, right now, I'm about 10 minutes from his house. Um, we're, so we're right here, which made everything certainly in 2020 complicated. Um, on the other hand, though, I'm never bored. Um, and uh, it's exciting to see how the Lord is has his people in so many places that might surprise Christians in other areas that have sort of stereotypes of right. what California is like and how evil it is and all the time. There's plenty of faithful churches. There's so many godly people that are seeking to serve Christ here. 
it's uh it's a great encouragement i i really wouldn't want to do ministry anywhere else oh, that's cool man i think we should always have a love-hate relationship with the world and with where we live where god has sent yeah. us there's much to love common grace and there's corruption to hate and that's that's normal if yeah. you can't do both you're, you're either idolizing or you're you're ignoring you're ignoring god's grace yeah. so i think that's a really cool perspective if you guys don't know if you those of you who are listening don't know steve steve is a full-time uh, staff pastor at emmanuel baptist church in sacramento california he also co-hosts a podcast called Particularly Baptist with uh, Robert Briggs, who is also a, a staff pastor there at Emmanuel. And uh, yeah, so you're a California guy. You, um, it looks like you're wearing a Ramones t-shirt, but I, I maybe it's not a Ramones t-shirt. What is that? Oh no, it's uh, but close. It's uh, Make America Punk Again. Oh, okay, so, so yeah, that's, okay, yeah, that's, that's also how I roll. It know? is, it is, it is a punk t-shirt nonetheless. So uh, yeah, yeah, very yeah. cool. I love it. Um, I'm wearing a. A John Bunyan T-shirt. Um, this Who is. Who was punk rock in his own way? He was. In fact, I, I was talking to Jim Renahan about it, and I was, uh, I was like, yeah, he was like, he was like a metal guy uh, back in the day. He, he like, he looked yeah. like Dave Mustaine. He got the red hair, long, and, <laughs> you know, making everybody mad. So uh, yeah, this is this is my office smoking tea because uh, you know, I gotta go out and meet people. So. <laughs> I'll swap it. I'll take this one off, put my clean clothes on that I keep in another room and brush my teeth and get going. But you get, yeah, you, get you get smelly, Joe. Um, well, listen, the reason I wanted to talk to you um, it really is in light of the things that you're passionate about and the things that I've seen you engage online, particularly as it relates to the concept of sola scriptura. There's been a lot of talk lately on the social medias about sola scriptura. Um, from my perspective, it looks like some you know, loud voices are getting it wrong, though they're affirming the phrase and the idea. Um, Some are pushing back in in healthy ways. You're one of those people. And so I really wanted to talk to you about that. Like, you know, what is soul scriptura? What isn't it? And how are we sort of getting twisted around it? And maybe the first question I'd I'd like to, to throw at you is, how important is this, right? This, this idea of sola scriptura like what are the stakes when we're talking about this doctrine well i i guess you could say that the stakes are are everything i'm i'm tempted to borrow from athanasius who wrote in one of his letters that we're contending for our all um Uh when we talk about the 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 final arbiter of our faith and practice in scripture and i think maybe taking one step back in the conversation and one of the reasons that this debate and conversation is so difficult is we're talking about what we all assume and trying to become self-conscious of it. And that's really where there's a lot of difficulty is there's a lot of assumptions being made about what soul scriptura means, assumptions about how we uh, arrive at knowledge of God according to his word. And what we're trying to do is be self-conscious about our first principles. Uh, The reality is, regardless of what someone may say in a debate, we all believe in tradition. We all believe in confessions. We all believe in natural theology. We all believe in philosophy as a handmaiden theology. We all believe in all these things because our convers- this conversation you and I have right now would be impossible without them. But what we need to do is be self-conscious about our first principles to keep us away from being deceived, falling into error unintentionally, um, making uh, horrendous contradictions that may grow into heresies in a generation or two. Um, and... Really, what's 
kind of ironic given the way some of this is debated. Uh, we want to state our first principles about the authority of Scripture carefully, distinguishing and defining them properly so that they can be corrected if need be, so that they can be reformed according to Scripture. Uh, when we operate on assumptions, what we're actually doing is removing our beliefs away from a venue where they can be chastened, corrected, or challenged according to Scripture. So we want to state and define our terms and what we mean by sola scriptura and the authority of Scripture carefully so that we can submit to the authority of Scripture, which is which is what we want to do, which is what every Christian wanted, wants to do, and what everyone in the current discussions is, is aiming for. This is... Uh... Very well said, uh, of course, and uh, I think you're, you're you're really sharp on this stuff, and that's why we wanted to have you on. But what does it look like when people aren't aware that they are operating on first principles? Because I'm I'm seeing it play out. I'm seeing people act as if or speak as if, like, no, I just got my Bible. It's just you know, you guys are bringing in these things to understand the Bible, and we just need the Bible. You're and as soon as as soon as we identify first principles, I see them saying like, you're violating sola scriptura. So what can you give us an example of what it looks like when somebody's not aware of the fact that they do have philosophy and you know guiding principles to help them approach scripture i think just principally what happens is they fail to distinguish between what they believe and teach or confess we might say according to scripture from scripture itself so there's a conflation of their mind really and in, in a way this in a way, what you're doing is you're canonizing your thoughts um, and you're making your your thinking and your principles uh, scripture. And we want to distinguish those two in order to preserve and uphold the authority of scripture. Now, I believe that what I believe is scriptural or I wouldn't believe it. Right, right. <laughs> um, uh, but I need to make that distinction so that I'm always in all of my thinking and speaking and teaching about God, especially as a, as a pastor, that I'm upholding scripture has authority absolutely over all of it. And so that's why sometimes too, the conversations get acrimonious quickly is because when there's a failure to distinguish between what you believe based on scripture from scripture itself, um, your, any challenge, correction, um, uh, any suggestion that you might er be an error or at least not be careful enough is taken as an assault on the authority of scripture itself, right, right. which is what we're not doing. Um, we should all recognize that uh, Christians have differed <laughs> on scripture and what it means. I, the, I mean, the history of the church is a grand illustration of that. And I, I appreciate what JC Ryle said that we, with the walls of separation are there, they're going to stay there. We want to keep them as low as possible so we can shake hands over them. And that's what we want to do. And in order to do that, we have to actually state what we believe scripture to say, including our principles. And that's actually where it's kind of counterintuitive for some people, but being careful with, uh, phrases like sola scriptura and even having a confession being strongly confessional is actually an aid to, to unity yeah. and catholicity it's it's not a hindrance to it Absolutely. Uh, what hinders is when i don't know what you believe and you just assert you believe what's biblical um but yet how you arrive at that you're not self-conscious of or stating mm -hmm. it and it makes conversation very difficult it makes arriving at any kind of consensus very difficult and ultimately it makes reforming or growing in what scripture means uh, really hard and near impossible I, I found the same thing to be true even just personally right that you know confessionalism 
um, enlarges my heart towards other Christians. Like uh, it's like we yeah. see, like oh, look at the commonality that we have with, uh, you know, yeah. historically, anyways, with uh, the Presbyterians uh, and, and and the Congregationalists or the Reformed tradition more broadly. Like wow, we have our distinctions and we're different, but we're also very much the same in in in, in many foundational ways. So I think it. I, I agree, it promotes unity, but I also think it promotes a humility. Because yeah. like you were saying, like, oh, I, I I, don't equate my understanding of Scripture with Scripture, because as soon as if we do that, it's a kind of fundamentalism that makes us little popes in our own world. Right. We're speaking ex cathedra on every doctrine and, and everything is becomes, you know, there, everything is a five alarm fire instead of being able yep. to reason through these things and start from the beginning. So I'm, I am seeing a spirit of fundamentalism and I think I made a joke. Well, it wasn't a joke. I tried to be funny on Twitter recently. I think I said something like some of you all need to stop playing. Your, 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 your reformed theology only goes as deep as your Cal is your 1689 t-shirt because they're not confessional, right? They're like, there's a lot of people that are like, oh, they, they throw around the word reformed or whatever, whether it's, you know, Westminster or whatever, but a lot of Calvinistic E kind of people are really fundamentalists, uh, in their spirit. Yeah. And, um, that's that's the concern that that I'm having is it they are pushing for division whereas I see guys like you and others that are actually let's talk let's compare these ideas let's show our notes let's show the work of the math that we're doing and see what holds up and yeah, there's exactly. almost no willingness to do this it's just like you guys have capitulated and so what so when we're talking about sola scriptura can you just articulate that for us like what is sola scriptura what historically do we mean by that yeah and i think just to what you said brother i think is absolutely right i mean the problem there's uh you know with fundamentalism there's is uh no fun all damn and precious little mentalism and we want to uh, uh really make sure we're thinking carefully about these things and i think you know a lot of guys have uh confessed or, or, or put sort of a superficial a subscription to our confession and the reformed tradition more broadly, but really have not done the work of going deep as to what these mean. And what's ironic when you take the phrase sola scriptura and getting to your question is uh, it's not explicitly found in scripture. So we're right. using extra biblical words to uh, describe what is a logical deduction from the statements of scripture. And we've received it from tradition. <laughs> it yeah. comes down to us. We didn't invent it in our generation. Um, it is kind of a later slogan. So there are phrases in the reformers where you see, you know, soul and scripture near each other. They definitely taught it. Um, but it's, it's a summary after the fact of the reformation right. of what we call the, the so-called formal principle of the reformation, the basis on it. And the, what may be surprising to many Christians is that sola scriptura was actually not seen as competitive with prior tradition. In fact, sola scriptura was asserted as the basis by which we discern what we receive and accept from tradition and what mm -hmm. we don't. Um, so by, by rejecting the Pope and the Roman magisterium, the reformers were not throwing out all of Christianity before 1517 or whatever, the 16th century. Um, they believe very much in the teaching authority of the church and we have to, and it's really tied in and we go on a whole other rabbit trail. It's tied into what we believe about Christ's ongoing prophetic ministry. Right. That Christ, by his word and spirit, is building his church and he's speaking. Um, you have statements like the Second Helvetic Confession, the preaching of the word of God is the word of God, that Christ continues to address his church 
through lawfully called pastors and teachers and preachers, and we believe he's still ministering by his spirit. Um, so the question is, that's not infallible, though. We don't believe right. any of us are infallible, nor any past uh, uh, preacher or teacher or, or association of them or counsel is infallible. So how do we discern? And that's really what was at issue. Um, I love one of my favorite statements on this point is actually in the Institutes, Calvin's Institutes, in his preface, his prefatory letter to King Francis, where he basically deals with this objection at that time as the, the, the Roman Catholic apologists were basically saying that they're throwing out prior tradition. And Calvin responds and says, no, we're, we're actually using it. Um, the problem is, is that the fathers said good things and some bad things. And what the our Roman Catholic, what the papists are doing is they're just taking the bad things or perverting the fathers. And he uses this phrase, they try to gather, they gather up all the dung in the midst of the gold. They're leaving the gold of the fathers behind and gathering the dung. So you could put it somewhat crassly as Calvin did. So how do we find out um, what's true in prior traditions and what's erroneous, what's false? And the answer is scripture and scripture alone. Uh, Scripture is the final arbiter of our faith and practice, what we receive from the teaching of the church and what we're against or what we're denying in terms of what uh, the Roman Catholic to this day church still teaches is that there's a dogmatic tradition or an infallible, infallible interpreter of scripture. We deny that Uh, scripture alone is its own interpreter. It is the final authority that helps us distinguish between what is true and false in the teaching of the church. Even even our confessions are, I think, very clear on this point, right? Like yeah. the, the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, right. faith, and obedience. Although, <laughs> you know, the light of nature uh, and the yeah. works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness of God, and it's yeah. I and I, I think I, I think because some of us are saved in a more fundamentalistic context. Um, or a more very independent sort of dispensational context where like there, there is such a hard reaction to um, whether it's Catholicism, if you have a connection there uh, or if it's just, Oh, I finally have certainty in the word. There's this fear of anything encroaching on that. And there's just, I think it takes time. I mean, I've, I've, I've been aligned with the second London confession since 94 um, 95, probably 95 was really when I was settled. And, um, but like, it's taken me years to understand it as well as I do now. And I still have a long way to go. And I think uh, being able to understand like what sola scriptura means, like it, it, it does, it does take time. You're not under, you're, you're not, um, you're not reading directions or, you know, learning the, the cheat code to a game that you're playing. It's, it, it's, it, it takes some time. You got to wrestle with these ideas. And I, I think some people are just uncomfortable with, uh, with the idea, which isn't fair that, oh, if I admit that I'm bringing philosophy to the scripture, when I'm trying to understand it, then I'm somehow putting philosophy above scripture. But can you speak to right. that? Why is that not what's happening? Well, we're, I, and I, to get to sort of a, what you just said, we do confess soul scripture. It's in chapter one of our confession. Yep. And I will often point to just paragraph 10. It's the mm-hmm. Supreme judge. Scripture is a Supreme judge. Um, and I think what we just have to do to your, to what you're asking is we have to just carefully distinguish and help people see what they take for granted. 
So oftentimes in debate or in conversation, we pit authorities against one another as though they're absolute. But the reality is, is we live in uh, the midst of concurrent relative authority. So you and I are, are, are pastors installed in our churches. We have a real authority insofar as our congregation. The scripture speaks to that. And it's most prominently uh, demonstrated when we minister the word, though in other ways when we rule and oversee the church. Um, our church, if it belongs to any associations, it has that association has some measure of authority as it's constituted over our congregation. And of course, if you're in a more connectional context, you're not a Baptist, it's going to have even greater authority. Um, and then our confessions function as an authority in our church. And I think it functions even representing uh, for the sake of us as Baptists, the congregational authority, because our congregation has authority in scripture to um, make final determinations as it relates to church discipline and the right. teaching and orthodoxy of the church. So we live under all these authorities. When you, when a Christian goes to church on Sunday and sits under a pastor's preaching, they're submitting to authority um, and an exposition of scripture. I'm using my words to hopefully faithfully and clearly articulate what God says to his church. And so we just need to, that's all we're talking about. And it depends on just what authority we're looking at. And by sola scriptura, what we mean is that all of those relative authorities are ultimately submitted to scripture. And where, if you want to use the language, where the buck stops, the buck stops with the Bible right. every time. Um, and so, but we're not taking away any of those things. And, and really, when you read or listen to arguments rejecting confessions, if those were consistently held, you'd have to throw out preaching. You'd right. have to throw out writing, books, tweets. All you could literally do was read the bare text of Scripture and then remain silent. And nobody believes that. Right, right. And that's it's always been, not always, but I guess for me, it is it is somewhat confusing because I find so much security in uh, being a part of, of, a, of a confession or a tradition because not because the confession is scripture, but because, wow, some of, some of, if not the brightest minds of the day, you know, came together to articulate the faith that we hold and articulate it in a, in a, in a way that is consistent, like historically with, with the broader church. Right. And in so many ways, right. like, I don't like the idea, like, I, like, I don't want to stand up and say, Hey, everybody follow me or hey, everybody just like listen to what I have to say. I, I, I want them to listen to what I have to say because it's not what I'm, it's not about what I'm saying. It is the word of God. Like I'm pointing to the word. And so we have authority in our calling and in our preaching of the word, but it's, it all comes from the word. And so like, I just have so much more confidence and, and humility knowing that I'm actually connected to and a part of and ultimately supported by uh, a, a larger tradition that, yes, we have to evaluate according to Scripture. Uh, you know, that's everything has to be evaluated. But I guess one of the things I'm, you know, I'm wondering, and I, I talked to um, Jordan Stefaniak. I always have to, like, think about the car. Yep. Um, Pontiac. I have to, like, how do you say his name? So I was, you know, you know, and he's like, he's got the big brain. He loves philosophy yeah. and all of that. But, you know, I was asking him, like, you know, does everybody have a philosophy? Does everybody have, uh, does everybody bring philosophy to the word? Does everybody have presuppositions when they come to the word? Or do they come as a blank slate and they just, it's only the word that just gets imprinted on their brain. And of course, you know, the answer is no, everybody, like you said, everybody has these authorities, whether they recognize them or not. 
So what are what are some of those like common and good presuppositions that we do bring to the text of scripture? Well, I think scripture assumes that we're bringing presuppositions. Uh, I've gotten this from a friend of mine, you know, you know, take the proverb to consider the ant, uh, you know, the ants are not defined. The Bible doesn't give you a schematic diagram of an ant. It assumes that when you go consider an ant, you know what an ant is. Um, and, and that's how God's accommodated his revelation to us as his creatures and the way it, it conjoins and, and marries with, as it were, general revelation. And so scripture assumes that we are logical, that we've been made to observe creation and that we are to bring those to scripture and that they are certainly to be chastened and challenged and corrected by scripture. And I think also how it works is it challenges other assumptions we bring um, that are not consistent with what scripture teaches. And we could talk a lot about some of the uh, latent individualism, mysticism, pietism, all the isms. Uh, One of them too, that I think doesn't get enough recognition for its impact is just the phrase, even my Bible. That's mm. a modern that's a modern conception right. that's built on technological progress. Yeah. If you go back in church history, owning a personal Bible bound as one book, that's presupposing all sorts of technological advancement. Right. And even how it shapes our engagement with God's word when you think about prior to relatively recent centuries with the the printing press and mass publication People primarily engage the Word of God through corporate reading and hearing of it in the worship of the church, the expositions of, of pastors and teachers. And so the fact that we can now sit alone with a Bible, read it, we can read it in a language we can understand, which was not always taken for granted and was something that had to be fought for and even died for right. in the Reformation. And we also confess that in our confession in paragraph 8 of chapter 1. All of these things are sort of we just assume that I can open God's word for us in English, I can read it, and and that can shape our conception of biblical authority, and it really marries it with individual authority. And really what we're talking about here, as has been observed by many people down uh, through recent generations, is we're not talking about the authority of Scripture versus a confession. We're talking about the authority of the broad interpretation of scripture outside of ourselves and you. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the second London confession has more authority than scripture. I think it has a more authority than me. And yes. That's the point. Right. And I think it has a more authority than Joe Thorne and anybody else. And that's why we hold to it. Yeah. And just like you said, it actually breathes liberty and humility into our congregations. Um, it gives us a freedom. Um, you know, I, when I was not in a confessional church context. This was years ago. I was still actually in seminary and I was told I was a Bible study leader at the time. And I was told that my, the content of my studies shouldn't contradict the interpretive views of the primary preaching pastor. And I wasn't even sure how I could do that. Was I supposed to literally listen to every sermon he's ever preached before I got there? Um, What standard is that? It's really ethereal, really constricting. And a lot of churches operate that way. And uh, confession properly understood as articulating what we believe Scripture means by what it says uh, really breathes an air of liberty. It protects, it should protect our churches from becoming cults of personality. Mm. And I think that's another issue that is really apparent in our wider debates is where we have the standards of orthodoxy have become certain personalities and not the confessions hammered out down through the ages 
from those who have looked deep, far and wider than us in scripture. And I think that's really a conversation we need to have. Um, and confessions are rightly constricting. They're rightly governing over us as teachers yeah. and preachers. And they are to give us that confidence and they are to give us that um, challenge and correction to our own authority so it doesn't get out of hand. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I remember when, um, you know, it's funny because when the new Calvinism was a was a big thing, um, I, I frequently got kind of lumped in with those guys, even though I'm t I was too old for it and I'd long been confessionally reformed. So I really wasn't a part of new Calvinism, but whatever. And... Um, but my exhortation to those guys, particularly when we were a part of Acts 29, was, listen, guys, you've, you've made a, you, you, you're, you've, you've landed somewhere good, right? But, you've, but you just, you got onto the beach. You need to go in. You need to go inland. Yeah. You need to get to the confessions. You need to work on your ecclesiology, and you got to work on all these things. Yeah. But the confession is where you need to be headed, because right now, you've got five points in a t-shirt. And it's not enough. It's it, you need more yeah. than that. You got. I mean, the five yeah. points. That's not even reformed theology. It's like those are good, um, but that was an argument <laughs> that we were responding to. So, right. and but like I there was I got so much resistance to uh, confessionalism because of oftentimes because of uh, individuality, creative freedom. Uh, you know, we're different from everybody else. Like this whole, there was just a lot of pushback, not from everybody, but from, from a number of people, uh, a number of young new Calvinists that, uh, and boy, the ones, the ones that went toward confessionalism have fared much better than the ones who tried to strike out on their own and create their own because they kind of are creating their own faith. When you dist when you divorce yourself from the church, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and you, yeah, okay. go ahead. I was going to say, you, you're going to end up doing one of two things. You're going to, you're going to end up reinventing old heresies. Um, and you're going to end up now. I don't know. We wouldn't call brothers that disagree on these issues heretics. I'm right. not saying that at all, but what I am going to say, and based on the um, testimony of church history is that, history tends to push our teachings to their logical conclusions in the succeeding generations. And and we've seen that over and over again as we look behind us. And so who knows what will come if we're not careful of uh, holding fast and learning the lessons from the past, we're, we'll be doomed to repeat it as the saying goes. What are, what are some good resources uh, for understanding the things that you're talking about? Sola Scriptura, first principles like um what is are there a couple of good books is there a particularly uh good article where, where would you want to point somebody well i would start first of all with the second london confession or the westminster confession chapter one read it look at the proof text understand it get into the commentaries related to it these things that we're talking about are not new they've been recycled um in the past i think some newer stuff that's been very helpful Putnam has a really good article on Sola Scriptura in the volume um, Baptist and the Christian Tradition, uh, edited by Luke Stamps and those guys put out by B&H. It's really helpful, very insightful. Um, I think there's been some uh, good stuff put online, some articles at Credo Mag and others about Biblicism. And so by Biblicism, what we mean is the rejection of all other teaching authorities and ministries in the church and in the past um, and reading scripture as though it fell from the sky at your feet. And so uh, really looking into that debate is, has been very helpful. 
um, the chapter in Reformed Catholicity by Scott Swain and Mike Allen on Sola Scriptura is really good on the authority of Scripture. Um, also, one that I just read recently that I can't believe has been, uh, I haven't read sooner, is excellent, but by Anthony Lane, uh, Sola Scriptura, Making Sense of a Post-Reformation Slogan. Mm. And it's a chapter in a collected volume edited by David Wright called The Pathway into Holy Scripture. And I would say it's worth the price of the volume. There's other chapters there. And these are, are, are really carefully helpful, distinguished things. Um, uh, there's, there's more stuff that would get you started. Um, there's lots of, I mean, really when we get into literature on bibliology, theologies like this, they're going to articulate in any kind of Protestant conception, Reformed conception, they're going to be going through these things, distinguishing between the subordinate uh, teaching authority of the church and its confessions versus the absolute authority of Scripture. Oh, that's good. That's that's really helpful. We'll make sure that that stuff linked up. So I got some things I want to throw at you real quick. Um, you know, I always get these guys to talk about it. You know, I just had Jim Renahan on and I asked him the same thing I'll ask you. Who are the two most annoying people on Twitter? Go. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's not a question. I mean, it is a question. We'll, we'll talk about it offline, off air. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. Talk to us a little bit about your podcast, particularly Baptists. Well, it's, you know, been started in fits and starts. Uh, we um, originally started it during the vid to just communicate with our church and really have another venue of talking through how we were thinking through things here in California and navigating uh, when we were doing that. That's how we started it. And it got some traction that way. We've been encouraged. Um, we did it most recently, our recent episode, uh, Something Close to Confessionalism, was a response by an article on these very issues uh, written by Sam Waldron that we think needed some correction and some pushback. So we did that and we're encouraged by the response there. We do have plans to get it up and going. We have no pretensions of ever rising to the heights of, of you and Jimmy and Doc and Devo. But really what we want to do is just... Um, present these things primarily speaking to our congregation, um, how our confessional tradition and our practices and beliefs as Reformed Baptists, um, how they help us as Christians, how they help us grow, how they help us in our Christian life as as a church, and especially how they help us. We're in a very blue state that's very antagonistic to us. Um, How do we wisely navigate uh, being bold witnesses for Christ here? And fortunately, we have these things hammered out for us on the anvil of history. So that's that's kind of the the flavor of what we want to do. It's it's sort of a pastoral practice and and Christian piety uh, from uh, from the Second London Confession. Nice, nice. And um, you've got a there's a conference coming up, the Sacramento Gospel Conference. Uh, it's on the Holy Spirit with Ian Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, we're super excited uh, coming up this fall. We started this conference eight years ago, and it's out of our pastor's fraternal. So we host a regional pastor's fraternal of various churches that would be just broadly Calvinistic and evangelical in our region, um, that we have a bi-monthly lunch and we pray for one another and we talk about things sharpening each other. And out of this has grown a conference. Last year we had uh, Carl Truman, who spoke on his recent work on uh, um, on uh, the rise of the modern yeah. self and did right. a pastor's workshop. And so this year we're looking forward to having Ian Hamilton come on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to do a pastor's workshop on the Reformation and pastoral ministry, and then also a day-long conference on the ministry of the Spirit. And we're really looking forward to it. He's just great to, on this topic. And of course, Banner and those guys have some tremendous literature on it. So we're looking forward to that. Ian Hamilton, he's Scottish Presbyterian, right? 
Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, th- there was, uh, I was a part, I was able to, I was asked to speak at uh, the Philadelphia Conference of Reformed Theology uh, back in like 2019. And, uh, and it was all Scottish Presbyterians and me. And, uh, <laughs> th- and they were like old, brilliant, godly men and me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, when, you, when you're around a, yeah. When you're around a guy like Ian, it's like one of the most persuasive arguments for becoming a pedo Baptist. It's not ultimately persuasive, but nope. it is a good argument, you know. Their piety, their sincerity, and like that Philadelphia Conference of Reformed Theology, I mean, they, their, their worship was uh, facilitated by a brass quartet, right? It's just a totally different animal. And yeah. uh, and the these guys were like, so like concerned for the hearts of those listening you know like i think people think like you know a theology conference you know whether it's reformed baptist or presbyterian but then i just think like these 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 scottish guys you know um but they're warm and they're and they're generous that they would even allow me to be a plenary speaker is just weird um kind you know what i mean generous yeah yeah. And like, so it's a, it's such a great model. And you, what you're doing, what you guys are doing is a really great model, bringing in brothers from another tradition, you know, with whom we still have a ton in common, but I think that's oh, yeah. super healthy and really cool. Now this is, this is going down like in September, right? Yes. Yeah, September nine and 10, uh, the, this, the conference proper is on the 10th. And then we, we try to host the Friday before a pastor's workshop for area elders, uh, preaching pastors, men in ministry to just do some practical lectures and interaction with our speaker. Cool. So like people can just go to sacramentalgospelconference.com and check it out. I believe that's right. Yes. Great. Very, very, very cool. All right. One more question. I know uh, something that you're, you're, you're passionate about is uh, Bible translation fellowship. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I have the privilege of serving on the board of Bible translation fellowship and the founder is a sent out missionary from our church. And what we want to do in short is to see the confessionally reformed understanding of scripture be reincorporated with the mission of Bible translation. And even some of the things we talked about on this podcast are relevant, um, that the teaching authority of the church, our doctrinal understandings should have input into how we uh, translate the Bible. And the fact that we do, we have Bible translation in our confession. Not many reformed Christians even understand that guys who confess it. And so we need to be on the forefront of these things. And at BibleTranslationFellowship.org, there's all kinds of information and resources people can find. And we really want to encourage faithful Bible teaching uh, churches to re-engage, to advocate. There's great needs for Bible translation to this day. And we want to see Bible translation reincorporated with the mission of the church and being done well. I love it, man. We supported a a missionary, um, and uh, she went to a particular tribe of people who um, obviously they had a language, but they didn't have a written language. So she spent the the second half of her life for the last third Mm -hmm. of her life with them, developing a written language for them so that then they, she could translate the scripture through Wycliffe. There were, it was, it was with Wycliffe and uh, you know, they did the new Testament, finished that. Then they got the old Testament, did that. And, uh, or I I think that was the order that that she did it. And it's been, it's been a few years, Typically, Uh, but man, I mean, we should be, I, I don't hear much about advocacy for Bible translation. And so I was, I was excited you brought this up to me a while ago, and um, I was excited to, to encourage people to check that out. Steve, thanks for coming on, man. Like it, you know, people are busy. 
I know like, you know, we're, we're, it, everybody's busy, but pastors are busy and there's unique burdens that you're dealing with as a minister of the gospel. So thanks for carving out some time to hang out and come on the podcast. It means a lot to us. That was great, brother. Thanks so much for having me. I hope it's helpful. Oh, for sure. It was already helpful for me. If you guys want to follow Steve on Twitter and uh, watch him own the people who are wrong, in, no, he doesn't do that. But uh, but if you want to if you want to interact with him, uh, you can find him. What's your what is it? It's like at Steve Meister. VDM. 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 All right. At Steve Meister VDM. I, I, there, I, okay, I just found it. I wanted, the, I wanted to verify just to, just to make sure. Um, if you guys uh, want to interact with us, Doctrine and Devo- Devotion, on Instagram and Twitter, we are at Doc and Devo. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Doctrine and Devotion. Of course, we've got the website, DoctrineAndDevotion.com. And we've got merch and T-shirts and stuff like that. So if you want to support the podcast, go to JoFoStore.com, and you can get some T-shirts and some cool things there. Or you can subscribe to all access which gives you commercial free uh exclusive content only for those that subscribe a podcast called banter of truth as well as devotions monday through friday called weekday wisdom thanks for listening